Authors on the Air, presented by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, with this week's guest host, Donna Dennis Wilberg. Author James Latoile uses his 29 years behind bars as an influence in his award winning novels, short stories, and screenplays. He's a former associate warden in a maximum security prison, a hostage negotiator, facility captain, and director of California State Parole System. He's nationally recognized expert witness and consultant on prison and jail operations. Latoile's crime fiction work has garnered him the Silver Felsian Award, and his novel Dead Drop is a Lefty Award nominee in the Best Mystery Novel of the Year category for 2023. Welcome, Jim Latoile. Jim, it is so wonderful to have you here today. I have been, you know, I'm really thrilled to be able to sit down and, and ask you these questions and interview you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's It's been forever since I've seen you. And I think, you know, you don't live that far away and I just never, never see you at all. You you hide away and, you know, you do your own work and here I have to go on video to, to see you. So, hi. How much has your personal experience of being in the uh, jail system, how much of that has bled over into your crime fiction writing? It's been helpful a lot and not necessarily in the ways that you might think. It doesn't, you know, give me like a, a perfect plot or a story and, oh, I remember that one event and I'm going to write that. But working in prisons for, for 29 years, you you get to see a lot about people and you start to really kind of see what kind of characters there are and what they're up to and how far people are willing to go to get what they want. Um, and that's all great fuel for writing, writing stories. Um, I think every one of my books has some tie back to something that I, that I saw that kind of sparked a, um, sparked an event like with um with dead drop uh the, the one that came out last year um and it wasn't a specific event about the book or the story in the book it was it was kind of a, a couple of things that happened while i was working in the in the prison system and i was doing an audit at a prison in san diego audit is when i would lead a I'd lead a team in there and i'd meet with the warden and we'd go over the prison from top to bottom and basically give them a report card of what was working and what wasn't. So it always put on a really good face. And I walked into the prison that morning and things were just not right. It was, things were, were agitated. People were running around like they, you know, they, they didn't have calm exterior that you expect to see at a prison. And it turns out their count didn't clear. Now, in prison, a count is like the thing you do. You're supposed to know how many inmates you have, and you're supposed to kind of keep them and control them and know where they're at. And they couldn't clear their count. And they finally narrowed it down to one facility, and it was the minimum facility, which is a smaller facility outside the wall. And went through it two more times and could not clear the count. So finally, they did what they call a positive count, a picture count, and they went bed by bed for 200 250 beds with a picture of the inmate they were supposed to have in that bed. And they finally realized what the problem was is they had one more inmate than they were supposed to have. What it was is this prison is sits right on the border uh, south of San Diego. You can actually see the international wall, the border from the yard. 
So the undocumented migrants would use the hills up and around the prison as their trail north. And one guy got tired, hungry, and cold, and basically broke into prison for a place to stay that night. So that that's where he 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 uh, he was found. And there was one other incident that happened years before that, when I was working in the juvenile probation system, and I was a juvenile court referee. So I would, you know, I was basically the judge for minor minor offenses. And this woman and her mother came came in. And the daughter, she was probably 15 years old. She was cited for shoplifting. No counsel, you know, reprimand or some work project or nothing significant at all. But the first thing mom did when she came in was she handed me hers and her daughter's green cards. They were both, you know, documented migrants here in this country. And she knew that because of this, this violation of the law, I was going to send them back to, to Mexico. And it kind of stuck with me that that status, the chief here in this country, was so fragile that, you know, it, they were always worried about, you know, just uprooting their lives here and getting shipped home. So those two things together um, kind of gave me some ideas about dead drop and how to how to attack that story. But almost all of my my short stories and my novels have some kind of underpinning. Um, with the uh, with the work that I've done in the in the in prison systems. Well, that kind of segues into my next question because you do write a lot about social themes, and yeah. I'm wondering is it because you know you've seen this in your line of work, or if it's just a personal thing that you want to see justice being done? And this deals with human trafficking and and homelessness and immigration and all kinds of things. Yeah, it's um, yeah. The books usually do tackle a, a, a major social theme or two. Um, you know, Dead Drop is very is right up front with the with the immigration issue, and, and no matter which side you're on um, that argument, uh, we really take a look at you know who's really caught in that struggle, and not not might not be who you think it is. Um, but yeah, there's there's some of these issues like you know, corruption, immigration policy, homelessness. Um, they're really complex issues and they affect more than just, you know, the people that you might, in a, in a homeless camp, you might see on the side of the street. There's a whole lot of dynamics around that and, and who's involved in that and who benefits from uh, people being in those situations. So I kind of like to peel back and kind of look at some of those issues. and um, Not so much a passion for just, but just kind of, peeling back and exposing what some of the other issues that might be going on that you don't, might not think about when you just look at an issue. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you've encountered in your line of work that you would have never encountered had you not been in, in that kind of position. The organ harvesting we dealt with in um, At What Cost. It was a book and the impetus for that, again, came from some things that I experienced in prison. I was working in a security housing unit, and that's a prison within a prison. And in this particular unit, if you killed somebody on the general population, you came to my unit. So we had 128 of those those kind of guys, um, not really good citizens, you know, in in public, and uh, they continued that behavior in the security housing unit. So one day, an Aryan Brotherhood member was stabbing another inmate on the yard, and our gunman shot that inmate to stop the assault. 
and ended up killing that uh, assail assaulting, assaulting inmate. Um, so we packed him up, got him off the yard, sent him to the hospital. We knew he was dead anyway. But we got a call from the hospital not long after saying they wanted to donate this guy's organs. You know, they wanted to harvest his organs. And it was like, you don't know this guy. I mean, he's a Aryan Brotherhood, filthy, nasty, drug, you know, who would want those, those organs? And then uh, not long after that, maybe a week or two, um, one of the officers in the units um, had a, a son who needed a bone marrow transplant. So we all donated, got on the registry and did that kind of thing. But something about the two together clicked in my mind. And it was, if I had a son that was that sick, would I really care where the organs came from? And I probably wouldn't, you know. So my agonist in At What Cost is a detective who's hunting a serial killer that seems to be harvesting, harvesting his victim's organs. But the detective's son needs a kidney transplant. So does he make a deal with the with the killer and get the organ that his son needs to survive, or does he, you know, bring the killer to justice and sacrifice his son in the process? So that's how that, that's how that came to to be. What surprised you most about your your journey um, from being the prison guy to becoming one of these wonderful, spectacular authors that you are? <laughs> Thank you. Um, it wasn't an easy um, transition, really, um, it, and I didn't plan on it. Uh, it just kind of happened after, after I retired. Uh, so after 29 years of all that stuff and accumulated trauma, um, I, I found writing was a, a therapeutic thing. So I could write these stories and kind of get this stuff out that I've experienced and held in over 20, 20 something years. Um, but I, yeah, I realized that, that this is kind of fun. And so then I, I started to learn more about the craft and the process and, and became more and more involved in the, in the community. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that surprised me is the crime fiction community. And you've seen it, Donna. I mean, the crime writers are just really good people. They're, they're open, they're supportive, they're caring, they'll help you. Um, and where I came in the prison, that was definitely not the case. You know, you didn't have, you know, too much to fall back on there. But that's been the biggest surprise is this community, as large as it is, um, is, is really a, a, a fun group and it's fun to be around. And I look forward to, to going to conferences just to kind of see those people again and, you know, reconnect with that crime fiction uh, family. They say try and find a redeeming factor in your villains. Did you see a transformation in some of the inmates that, that you worked with? There, there, yeah, there were some that uh, some inmates that I worked with that even, you know, as, as heinous as their crimes were, um, you can't view them through the lens of that crime that happened, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever it was. Uh, you've just got to kind of deal with them in the here and now. So it's, it's a very much a respect oriented kind of thing. You treat me with respect, I treat you with respect. But yeah, there's, there's redeeming qualities in, in just about just about everybody. Um, and yeah, when you write a character, you really have to be careful not to make them too over the top evil and, you know, no, because nobody's going to believe that. Nobody's going to, going to, going to buy that. I mean, you look at like Hannibal Lecter, you know, is like about as 
off the charts evil as you can get, but he still had a soft spot when it came to, you know, Starling. I can only imagine viewing it from your eyes, what it must've been like to deal with that every day. I had a different, I think what helped me is I had a different upbringing a little bit. I, I actually grew up in prison. Um, my dad was a career corrections guy and we lived on prison grounds. And one of the places was a, a prison camp down in uh, central California, up in the, in the Redwoods. And I basically just walked around the camp all day, um, walked through the dorms, learned how to play pool with the guys. I got my hair cut by the inmate barber. Um, I was kind of isolated out there by myself. So my playmate when I was a little kid was the inmate gardener who wheeled me around in the wheelbarrow as he was doing his work. So yeah, yeah. so I, I got to know, and it turned out that guy was doing time for murder when you could do, you know, but you can be in a camp setting for murder back in those days. Um, but that never in, involved itself in our, in our interactions and, and conversations. I got to know them as people and, you know, their interests and what was going on with them um, and not so much about what they had done. You write both male and female protagonists. How does that work for you? I enjoy it. It's a, it's a challenge <clears throat> writing in a, in a female perspective um, because I, I want to make sure I get that voice right. Um, like Jillian Cooper was the, was the um, protagonist in Black Label. That was a standalone kind of pharmaceutical thriller. She was a pharmaceutical executive. And I really didn't, when I started to write the book, I wanted to make sure I knew her um, really well. So what I, what I did is I ended up writing a short story in first person perspective with her voice and how as a woman she would interact in an all male environment in the boardroom and how that you know, relationship with, with other board members and, and executives in the company would, would kind of come off. So that helped me kind of get in her head a little bit um, and I have a lot of input from, and my beta readers are all women. My editor's a woman, my agent's a woman. Um, so, and none of them are shy. So they will tell me, you know, you miss this voice. No woman is ever going to say that. No mother is ever going to do this, you know, that kind of thing. So I, they keep me on a short leash when it comes to that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy kind of, experimenting and writing from different uh, different perspectives. You have two new books coming out this year, uh, The Devil Within and Face of Greed. So tell us a little bit right. about these and how they came about. Yeah, Devil Within is uh, coming out this summer. It's the sequel to Dead Drop. So it takes the, the characters in Dead Drop and kind of moves them a little bit for, um, in the, into, the, into their, their world. Um, it involves a, a non-governmental agency that's helping undocumented migrants once they hit they hit the country, but there's a little more going on with that that organization than than it might appear. So uh, Nathan Parker, our detective, has to kind of unwind that and find out uh, who's really behind the organization and and what it's doing to the people that come over. Um, Fa uh, Face of Greed is a is a new one, a uh, new series uh, coming out in November, and. It involves a Sacramento detective, uh, Emily Hunter. So it's another another female protagonist uh, here in Sacramento. And her her first uh, case that we talk about in, in Face of Greed is a home invasion that 
goes horribly wrong. And there's a very powerful political broker that's murdered in his house. And everybody comes out of the woodwork to kind of control his secrets and his legacy and what he left behind. There's attorneys and his young ex-widow, and everybody is trying to control exactly what's going on with his, his secrets, and they'd be worth a fortune to anybody to, to find them. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a fun, it's a fun one. Do you sleep at night, or, or do you have the, the corgis uh, tapping the keys while you're sleeping? Or how, how does that work? <laughs> The, the corgis do um, get me up early, so I'm able to, yeah, they usually have me up by 4.30 or 5, and uh, I'll have a cup of coffee just to fuel myself and, you know, kind of make sure there's nothing pressing on the uh, email didn't come in overnight, and then I just I just sit down behind the keyboard and uh, crank away. What keeps you in the seat, though? Yeah, fear, fear key in the seat that, that I'm not going to be able to finish and meet my deadlines and all that, but um, I don't... Uh, I'm not a strict outliner, and I'm not quite a just go with it pantser. Um, I, I wrote an article for a publisher one time about pantsing, and it kind of felt like I was in a hippie commune, and they kicked me out because I didn't like patchouli oil or something because I just couldn't get with their their just no no rules, no boundaries, you know, just sitting right. That gives me hives. I have to know where I'm going. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of a hybrid. I, I have an idea of what the, the inciting event is. I know how it's going to end. And before I really get into the story, I spend a lot of time with who the characters are going to be in that book. So I'll probably spend maybe two months just jotting down notes and background ideas about the characters and finding out who they are. Um, you know, like a good example in Dead Drop, uh, Nathan Parker. <clears throat> We really, we, we know he's got some baggage coming in because he lost his partner. Um, his partner was murdered during an immigration uh, stop. So that kind of colors his, his lens on looking at the undocumented migrant community that's coming up through, through the Phoenix area. And I think that helps kind of describe him and, and, and his interactions with, with everybody. And it kind of changes over the course of his interactions in that book. But I think knowing the characters up front helps kind of create the narrative and, and, and connect the dots on the, on the plot points. But yeah, once I get the characters, then I, then I start diving in and I'll know where I'm driving to, but not necessarily what stops them to take along the way. Dead Drop is nominated for a Lucky Award for Best Mystery Novel. Yeah. How does that feel? I'm still waiting for an email saying they made a mistake. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, it was, it was really a surprise and nice to see. I mean, um, the, and the category for, for best mystery novel of the year is, is, is a big one. And the, the other nominees are just all tremendous. I mean, Alex Segura, Gigi Pandian, Laurie King and, and Kelly Garrett and, and Louise Penny. I mean, uh, that's pretty good company. Uh, so I'll, I'll be, I'll be thrilled to be there and just be mentioned. Well, before I let you go, I want to know, what's your favorite part about writing, Jim? I think it gives me a lot. It gives it, like I said, when I started it, there was a lot of uh, therapeutic benefit that I got out of it. You know, some of that, the stress and anxiety and, and trauma that I experienced in the, in the prison side, I was just able to just get it out on the page. Um, there are people in those first couple of books that I never published that are sitting at the desk that, um, that might resemble very closely people that I didn't get along with well. 
<laughs> so they're buried in in a, in a drawer. Um, but um, yeah, I like being able to create uh, a character. I like being able to create a, a story that kind of links together. Um, the process, part of the process that I like actually the most now, uh, since I've got you know a few books under my belt, is I really like revision now. I used to hate it. It was like, why am I doing this? I've already done with the story, and you no, know, you're not. And and it took me a while to realize that. And uh, I actually really enjoy getting in there, in there and tinkering with it, and changing things, and moving things around, and just revising the story till it's exactly what it needs to be. Um, and realizing when that point, when you're at that point, is is something that um, I've only recently discovered. Okay, this is working now. I, I I get it. So yeah, it's it's a learning process, and I'm still learning. So it's 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 great. Do you think you'll ever d uh, dabble in any other genres? Yeah, um, I've written um, one and a half <laughs> uh, spec fiction uh, with a little par paranormal kind of kind of thing going on. Um, one was a firefighter who's injured or really badly injured in a, in a house fire and he loses his sight. His eyes are burnt. So he, uh, you know, he goes through all the, the withdrawal and the trauma and, you know, how that affects his marriage and all that kind of thing. Uh, and he finally realizes there's one possibility and it's this experimental eye transplant that uh, his doctor turns him on to. So he, he gets the eye transplant and starts to see visions through his donor's eyes. So, and they, those visions and auras start to lead him down a trail to investigate who actually started the fire that that caused his injury. Then I've got another one that I, that I've, I'm playing with. That's I'm about halfway through it. Um, it's a detective who's hunting a, a child killer, uh, and he's getting evidence from from a witness of that killing. Um, and it takes him about three or four meetings with this witness to realize. He's talking to the dead girl, and she's the one that's actually, you know, telling him who killed her, as far as she knows. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today, and I want to tell everybody out there, you know, go get Jim's uh, book, get Dead Drop, and all the others that he's got up there because Black Label. Thanks, Donna. And um, they are such a pleasure to read. You are. Uh, Thank you. You're such a wonderful author. So. Thank you again for doing the interview and um, good luck and best of luck with uh, Dead Drop at uh, the Lefties. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> Authors on the Air is a copyrighted production of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. All rights reserved. Copyright 2023.